0: Love God. Lift others. Welcome to, to Elevate, Elevate Life, Church. Life Church. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy another Elevated Message. Here's our very special guest from Freedom Church in Santa Cruz, California, Pastor Robert Burbank. Say before I get going. Just how many love your pastor? Yeah. They, this. God is really building something quite unique here. You could just sense it. You know, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, Of course, the few times that we we were with, uh, it was Lionsgate. uh, Pastor Troy was here and had us come and do kind of a, a meeting, kind of online. I thought, who this? You know, I always knew him, of course, but I was like, man, he's got so much wisdom. Can I just bring out a notebook and start taking notes on it? just a tremendous heart for the people of God. Such a big pastoral heart, a big hearted guy. This is really a first class operation. So it really is a reflection of your leadership, a reflection of the things of God's doing in your life. And of course, I know you give that all up to God. So I just want to commend you. This is really a powerful atmosphere. You know, like he said, I just came from Guadalajara. It was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, had meetings and things like that, had a powerful move of the uh, spirit of God. And I can tell you right now, it's going to happen here. This isn't just, well, maybe this is it's going to happen. You could tell this when you walked in that the presence of God is so powerful. And what I want to do is in this first service, just really provoke your faith, and then we're going to deal with issues in this uh, service tonight. So you do not want to miss tonight, I can assure you of that. So I want you to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 46. Mark, chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, and when you are there, say amen. Amen. All right. Well, it's behind me, so you should all be saying it. (laughs) It says this. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. In verse 47, it says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, notice this, he began to shout. And I want you to notice what he shout. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Continues on verse 48. It says, many rebuked him and told him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Verse 50 goes on to say, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Verse 52, go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight. And follow Jesus along the road. Now, I want to go through this. And what I want to do is, as a missionary, one of my jobs is when I go into a culture, you kind of assimilate into the culture. You got to kind of get the heart of God within a culture. And what I want to do is bring you on a missionary excursion. But it's not to another land. It's to another time. And so I want to bring us back. And I want to place your feet in his sandals And I want us to begin to explore the scriptures. And I want to provoke your faith because the same things that Jesus did yesterday, he wants to do today. Because he's the God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did yesterday, he absolutely will do today. You see, sometimes in Christianity, we look at Jesus as a historical Jesus. We look at the things he did in the past. The things that he did in great moves of God. Or we begin to look to the future and say, oh, God's going to bring a revival. God is going to bring a move of God. And we always place Jesus either in the past or in the future. But faith is now. That means in this moment right now. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there's a couple of things that I want to point out here. In verse 47, it says that he heard about Jesus The question then remains, what is it that he heard about Jesus that brought that provocation of shouting unto him? He must not have heard that he was just a good man. Maybe he was a man that gave to the poor. It wasn't just that he was a good rabbi or a good teacher. What exactly was it that he heard that brought that provocation of faith? Because I can assure you, hearing that he's just a good teacher is not going to bring that provocation inside of him. What was it that he heard about Jesus? You see, in the church we hear a lot about Jesus, but what is it that you hear about Jesus? Do you hear that Jesus is a miracle worker right now? Or do you hear he's going to do it sometime in the future, which means it's not going to happen with you? Or it happened to somebody in the past. Sorry, we don't know when it's going to happen. But we see here, he heard. What did he hear? He heard that he was obviously a man, the Son of God, that is opening up the eyes of the blind. And I want to take you on this journey of what this would have indeed looked like. So it says that he heard that this was Jesus. And we know faith cometh by hearing. So he would have heard Jesus is the guy who is opening up the eyes of the blind. Now, mind you, he can't go to Jesus because he can't see. He's not like the woman, the Canaanite woman, or the woman that had an issue of blood by which she could see and begin to navigate and begin to go towards him. He can't see Jesus, so the expression of faith that he has, the only tool in his tool belt, he doesn't have eyes, is his voice, and he's he is it's in a manifestation of when he begins to shout out. So what you have to understand, it's not about the decibels. It's about the spirit behind the decibels. It's not about just having a loud voice. It's the spirit of faith behind the voice. You see, you can shout, but what's the spirit behind the shout? You see, with blind Bartimaeus, when he begins to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He understood he only had a small window of time. In order to capture Jesus. Do you see that? He's walking by. He doesn't have anybody. He's begging. He has no opportunity to follow after Jesus. And so he's using the only tool in his toolbox. My voice. I want you to take into consideration. He's walking by. And you hear. He's opened up the eyes of the blind. Really, he's walking by. You think, okay, what do I got to do? No one's going to bring me to him. I got to get a hold of him. Jesus! Jesus! I only have a small window of time because as he's walking by, the further he gets away, the bleaker my voice gets. Faith recognizes you got a window of time, and now is the time to act. The shout was an action. I got to lay hold of him right now. If I don't, I'll miss my opportunity right now. He didn't have a mentality. Well, Lord, Father, if it's his will, could you just kind of draw him to come up the aisle of the church? Come into our midst. And maybe if it's your will, he'll come and have a healing meeting. He created his own altar call right where he was at before Jesus called one. This is one of the things in the church that sometimes we fail to understand. You create an altar right where you're at. As pastors, we call for altar calls. Absolutely. I'm not suggesting you don't do that. But this man created an altar right when he began to shout out and to cry out. That is where faith was provoked on the inside of him. So the first thing that he confronts is what? The fear of popular culture. Write that down. The very first resistance is the fear that comes from society or popular culture. You see, Jesus was a rabbi. He's a good man. But I want you to take into consideration, what was it that blind Bartimaeus called him? He didn't just say, you're the miracle worker. And that was no reference to the song, just so that you're aware. That's an awesome song. Oh, I just had to, oh, man, I was, your praise and worship team, woo, ushering into the presence of God. He didn't just acknowledge that he was, you know, a great, you know, teacher. He called him what? The son of David. In other words, he comes from the root. He's the Messiah. Did you know that's countercultural right there to give reference That Jesus is the son of God. He's the anointed one. Do you remember when Jesus brings healing to a man who's born blind? Do you remember that? Right? He's born blind. Jesus brings healing to that man. And the religious people, say religious people. There's none here. Hallelujah. But they begin to investigate. How was he healed? How did he heal you? And of course, he told them the story. And then, of course, they asked the parents, is this your son? Yes, that's our son. Well, what do you say? Well, you ask him. He's of age. And the Bible says that they did not want to say anything because they were fearful of being kicked out of the synagogue. So, in other words, there was a culture of fear. Don't you dare acknowledge he's the son of David. He may be a teacher. He may be a good man. But there were social pressures. Don't you dare acknowledge that he's the son of David. And what was it that blind Bartimaeus was crying out that would have been contrary to the fear in popular culture? Son of David! He didn't care what culture said, he didn't care what society was saying. And some of us are bound up by the pressures of the culture that we live in. You have to be willing to bust through your culture if you want to receive the power of God. Popular culture often can be very anti-Christ. So the very first thing that he busts through is popular culture. Don't you dare, be quiet. Maybe this is why people said, be quiet. We don't know. Now watch this. this is, uh, uh, do not allow fear to dictate your actions of faith. Do not allow fear to dictate your actions of faith. So many of us are bound up from issues that are due to our culture. And listen, culture isn't bad or good. It can be neutral. It can be in between. But the issues of culture, we need to be set free from. Every nation that I've been to, the enemy wants to sit there and bind people up from issues within their culture. And we have to be discerning enough and kingdom-minded enough to recognize the works of the enemy that God wants to save us out of within popular culture. Come on, are you here? Notice verse 46. When he heard that was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It says many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Notice this. This is the second resistance. What is it? Fear of man. Fear of man. So fear that comes through popular culture and then those that are in immediate proximity of him that were around him. This could be even family and this could be friends, right? Out in the system, you've made a decision for Christ and they want to pull you back into old ways of thinking and mindsets and activities, and you know better on the inside, but you yield to those things and not willing to break through into the new of what God wants for you. Fear has literally caused people to run from the power of God. This is faith's second manifestation in a continual uh, shouting. So in other words, he begins to shout out. What does the Bible says? It says, many rebuked him, told him to be quiet, but he did what? He shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So he didn't, he wasn't quiet about it. He continued on. He did not yield to the spirit of fear that was operating. And I want you to take into consideration, had he stopped at that point, what would have happened? He would not have received his miracle. How many of us fall short of breaking through because of fears that come through culture, that come through popular society, or come through the fear of man, and it shuts us down? What would have been your response if many people, maybe they were friends and family that were in proximity, would have told you to be quiet? Would you, would, what would you have done? What would is that blind Bartimaeus would have done? Be quiet. And we don't know what rebuking means. Maybe they were pushing him around. Remember, he's a blind man. And this is what you have to take into consideration with regards to being a blind man. You know, here in America, we have a lot of uh, pity and sympathy and compassion for those who are disabled. You understand that? Right? You go up to an ATM, what do they have? Braille. In fact, if you want to build here in the church... By code, we have to have wheelchair access and maybe stalls that are wider. So, in American culture, we have great compassion to bring strength to those who have disabilities so that we can make them independent and so that they can feel like human beings and not disabled. Come on, are you here? Yes. It was not so amongst this particular culture. This is what you need to understand that they look down upon people like this. You must be under a curse. This is the judgment of God, the reason why you're like this. You remember the story of the man that was born blind? It's in John chapter 9. It's very clear that when, when, the, when he gave testimony and the blind man ends up saying, Hey, I've told you this story of how he opened up my eyes. Do you want to also be his disciple? Well, that triggered him. <laughs> how dare you lecture us? You were steeped in sin at the birth from your mother. They began to sit there and ridicule and speak down to a blind man that was born that way from the very beginning. There was zero sympathy. How about the leper? Much of us would have sympathy uh, uh, regarding the condition that they're in. There was no sympathy. In fact, in the Old Testament, what was the thing that they had to do when they uh, walked into a city or a town? They had to sit there and shout out, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine if you have leprosy? In fact, you were not even qualified to be a priest if there was even blemishes on your skin. You were unclean. You are under a curse. This is the judgment of God upon you if you're blind or you have dis- uh, disabilities or sin or sickness. You have to understand it was a much different culture. No compassion. They had no sense of dignity about them when they had to go into the cities and begin to cry out unclean unclean you can imagine all the mothers going oh come here son come here daughter get away from the unclean man get away come separate yourself you don't want to become unclean like them so they walked around isolated these are people that needed healing of the heart they were rejected by society and these were the very people that Jesus came to lay down his life for and extend mercy and to begin to extend his healing. But they understood the sense of depravity that they were in. Come on, are you here? Yeah. Come on. This is why it's so vitally important to understand that the blind man was someone who didn't have much sympathy that was given to him because of this. I also want you to notice that he acknowledged that Jesus was the son of David, and that he wanted mercy, not just healing. Did you hear what I said? Some of us come to Jesus, we just want him to remove the things that become bothersome to us, without really laying down our life for him. Jesus bring healing because this is an inconvenience to my personal lifestyle of what I want to live and what I want to do. And you owe me healing because the Bible says. But we're not willing to lay down our life for him. Give me healing because I want to live the way I want to live. That's why the leper said, he didn't say you can heal me. He said you can cleanse me. He understood he needs to be cleansed, not just healed. He understood the root is not just the outside of healing, but he was in a state of depravity. I need to be cleansed. We need that stronger in the church today. So many people running. Pastor, pray for me. Lay your hands on me. I need healing so that I can go live the life that I want to live. And saying, how about you live for him rather than you living for you? That's why it's been called. It's the dinner bell to salvation. Salvation of what you died to yourself and you live unto him. What's the motivation? We see with the blind man, have mercy on me. I'm blind and yes, indeed. It's because I'm under a curse. Yes, because I am unclean. I know what the law says. I even understood the Sodom and Gomorrah. Angels were there and smote those who were evil there with blindness. Yes, I may be blind because I'm a wicked man. But that's why I need your mercy. Because you're right. That's why he didn't have a victim's mindset. I can't believe it. Why am I like this? Why are these things happening? The victim's mindset is antithesis to someone who cries out for mercy. When you cry out for mercy, it's because you know you're in a state of depravity and you know that you need him. I've always said Jesus is for the down and outers. But there's a qualification. He's for the down and outers who recognize they need mercy. If you don't recognize you need mercy, there is no provision there. That's why you have to humble yourself before the Lord before he lifts you up. And healing comes from his wings. Are you getting something? I sense the presence of God so strong. So he shouts out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. I believe because of all the voices and all the commotions, he heard the spirit behind the voice. Son of David, have mercy on me. He could hear, ooh. He probably sensed the power of the spirit on him. Just like the woman that, walked, that came up to him and touch, and, and virtue flowed from him. He felt who touched me. The presence and the power of the Holy Spirit would have been on him. He call that man. I, I I hear something in his voice. This isn't just someone calling for the sake of calling. I sense something different in this man. His voice rises above, but it's not just the decibels that I hear. It's the spirit behind the decibels. It yeah. would have heard it. Jesus. You're walking by, I need your help and I need your mercy. Expression of faith. This is powerful. Listen to me very carefully. What does it say? They said to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. I always jokingly say he's probably the same people that rebuked him. Shut up. Shut up, you're disturbing our peace. Keep quiet. Go back to begging. He didn't say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll go back to begging. Can you give me money? I need money. I need help. He did not yield. He continued out. So now these people that rebuked him are now actually speaking to him, saying, oh, cheer up, probably because they want to get to Jesus, too. They probably want to follow him to Jesus. You see, this is, man, one minute they're kissing you on the cheek, the next they're slapping you. You don't listen to any of it. You have your eye on the goal, which is Christ. If you're always moved by popular opinion and what people see, you'll get offended and you'll get off track from the prize. Faith is very goal-oriented, as I will show you. Now watch this. Oh, this is powerful. It says throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What is the significance of throwing his cloak aside? The cloak is what identified him as a beggar. The cloak is what actually identified him as a beggar. So when he throws the cloak aside like that, I want you to notice he didn't bring the cloak with him, which shows he didn't have a plan B. In faith, there's only a plan A. There is no plan B. You see, the cloak is a beggar's cloak that his identity was wrapped up in that cloak. All of us in here wear some type of a cloak that brings us identity. It can be from culture. It can be the impressions that we get. And we have to come to a place that when we come to Christ, we strip ourselves naked and throw that which we had our identity in, we throw it away. I want you also to take note, it doesn't say that he just dropped it. That is to say that he could pick it back up again if plan A doesn't work. He's blind. Once he throws it away, he can't see to go find it. That's why there's no plan B. so when he goes to the it aside this is his third manifestation of faith he shouts he shouts continually he faces resistance in popular culture he faces the fear of man breaks through had he stopped short he would not have received his miracle because Jesus would have never called him he has to break through three things and this is that third one throws it away by faith I'm no longer going to be a beggar For the cameras, I apologize. I'm going to come down here. When he throws it away like that, he's saying, I'm no longer going to be blind. I know I'm going to see even though I'm blind right now. He already knows at that moment he's going to have his eyes open. And many people do not teach this, but blindness was only one condition he needed healing from. He needed more healing than just that. He actually got inner healing. Because now, when he throws it away, he says, I'm no longer going to be blind. He's saying, I no longer have to beg. I can be a productive member of society. I'm now going to have inner healing because I'm no longer going to be under the curse of what popular society says I'm going to be under. I'm no longer going to be under the fear of man that dictates and controls my activities in life. God is going to make me whole, and it's not just from blindness. He's going to make me whole in my inward man. So he throws it. And when he comes up to Jesus, listen, how many have ever seen a blind person before? Raise your hand high, many of you. Now, here in America, when we see blind people, usually they're wearing sunglasses, right? They may have a cane. So you never actually get to look at their eyes. I've seen them in third world countries. I've seen them in India, Philippines, Southeast Asia primarily. And listen, when you have a blind person, you know they're blind. I mean, you know it. You can clearly see it. Sometimes their eyeballs are not there and the eyelids are concaved in, or they're looking off in different positions, or they're looking at you, but you can tell they don't see you. It's off like this. So get this picture. Is it okay to go past here? So here, call him. Cheer up, he's calling you. Maybe he has a cane. Clearly, Jesus would know he's blind. Agree? You've all seen blind people. Goes up to Jesus, and Jesus seems to ask the most silly question that there is, considering he already opens up the eyes of the blind. Agree? He goes, what is it you want? Well, what do you mean? (laughs) What kind of question is that? You are already opening up the eyes of the blind. A blind man is walking up to you and clearly we can see he's a blind man. Jesus, why do you ask such a silly question? But it's not a silly question. Jesus is actually investigating. What is your response? What would you do? Because blind Bartimaeus could have said, well, I'm a beggar. I need money. Right? He could have asked him, I'm begging. I need money. And by which Jesus would have probably turned to Judas and said, get your fingers out of the money bag. Stop being a thief. Give this guy, give him some, some centavos. I was just in Guadalajara, so I used the term centavos. Or pesos. That's it. Pesos. Give him 20 pesos for some tacos and carne and sugo. I see we have some people who speak Spanish here. Right? He could have asked for that. But he replies and says to him, Lord, I want to what? See. So he begins to find out what he actually has faith for right there. And of course, Jesus said what? According to your faith, so be it unto you. Last point, real simple point right here. He didn't say it was my gifting that healed you. Of course it was his gifting. He didn't say it was his anointing, though we know he was the anointed one. You see, the way you position yourself determines whether you draw upon that anointing. I've prayed for people in altar calls all the time. You can pray for one and feel the power of the Spirit be released. You pray on the next one, it's like praying for a brick wall. Take into consideration, remember the woman who came up to Jesus? For she said in her heart, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. The Bible says that there were lots of people around him. I want you to take into consideration how many did he feed on one occasion? Was it four? I believe the Bible says in 6,000. It says men not including women and children. Scholars believe there were actually up to 20,000 people that followed Jesus. And people were trying to get around him to touch him. In fact, on one point, he said, launch out a boat for the people are going to crush me. How many have ever been to a concert in which you were up front and you're like... (laughs) and you had to get out of there. That's what Jesus was experiencing. So there's lots of people around Jesus. When this woman sits there and squeezes through and says, touch, he feels power. He asks another seemingly silly question. The disciples go, what do you mean who touched you? In other words, everybody's touching you. Here's the problem sometimes in the church. Lots of people want to be around Jesus, touching Jesus, but they're not receiving from Jesus. Does your draw, does your touch draw upon his anointing? During the wonderful worship, you can sit there and be like this, but is your your acknowledgement and your faith drawing upon the anointing? That's why heaven can be breaking over one person and another person, it's not even there. Right. Right. One person goes, Wow, that meeting was powerful. And another one says, Yeah, it was just okay. Your heart determines it. Oh, yeah. Jesus said, Your faith, not my sovereignty. Come on. Come on. Oh. You determine it. This has been my whole message for the most part as I've traveled. That when I preach this message, I'm telling you the spirit of God wipes out whole congregations. The power of God just flows. That's my intent in this first meeting. To bring you to see what would your response be. And challenge those things and make it applicable to where you're at today. Are you here? Let me close with this story. How many have ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Yes. Come on. Ra- raise your hand if you have not heard of him. Sorry. How many have heard? Some of you just didn't raise your hand. How many have not heard? Smith Wigglesworth. Thank you, dear. Okay, so I think it's probably about a 50-50 split. Is there a water I can have? Now listen, Smith Wigglesworth was an early... Pentecostal pioneer. Excuse me, my apologies. (laughs) He was an early Pentecostal pioneer. Early 1900s, about the uh, 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 mid-1900s. He was called the apostle of faith. History says that he raised 20, I believe it was 23 people from the dead documented, I believe it was 12. you have to fact check me, but roughly about that amount. In fact, one of them was his very own wife. One of them was the way he raised him was quite unique. Picked up a person, threw him up against the wall. Live! Very unique. Not just, Lord, would you take into consideration. Picks a person up. Live! Now at this point, This person hits the wall, falls down to the ground, still dead. Now, I don't know about you, but if I did that, I'd be like, well, must not have been God. I miss God on that one. (laughs) Sergio, was great ministering for you, but I need to run right now back to Santa Cruz. (laughs) Honey, I miss God on that one. You know what he did? Picked him up a second time. Oh, yeah, that's called faith. Live! Boom, falls down to the ground. A second time, for sure I'm out of that meeting. (laughs) Not he who is called the apostle of faith. Picks him up a third time, throws him up against the wall. Life came into him and he lived. Why do I tell you this story? It's because he's a very unique guy. In one particular one, there was a prayer line. He hits the guy in the stomach who had, I believe it was tuberculosis. Falls down to the ground, dead. The doctor behind him says, you killed him. He goes, he's healed and keeps ministering to the people. Didn't even take into consideration. Ten minutes later, the guy gets up praising God. Following after Smith, Smith Wilson was like, well, go tell the people. It's like, not like I need your testimony. I already knew God was going to do it. Like it's no big deal. He was in a meeting one time. This is powerful. And the Lord gave him a word. And so the Lord just spoke to me and said, and it was bigger, I think it was a conference is what it was. So the Lord just spoke to me and said, I'm going to walk to the back and then I'm going to walk forward. Whoever touches me is going to be made whole. So Sorry, cameraman, but I'm going to do that. So he begins to walk. Boom, someone just got it. Walks to the back. Walks back forward. Now remember, they all heard of Smith Wigglesworth. That's why he had big meetings. I'm submitting to you that there were lots of people that need healing in that meeting. Lots of people. That's why they would have went to that meeting. Do you know how many people actually touched him? Come on, throw it out. How how many? Take a guess. A hundred? You said a hundred. Three. Who said one? That's correct. One person actually believed the word of the Lord. She got it. She got it. Do you see this thing? Your faith does it. Not my gift. I can be gifted But do you actually believe and have the ability to draw? Well, I hope you've been encouraged by the word of God. And if you have, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast or download our free app at the app store. And you can continue to get word every week from Elevate Life Church.